Pursue Jesus. So here is the QR code once again. I was told by the online people that I clicked through the QR code too quickly for them. So I'm going to leave it up there for a few minutes. We're in Revelation chapter 3, and we're coming into verse 14. And we're going to be going from 14 through 22 today. So Revelation chapter 3, verse 13, the church at Laodicea. All right. The subtitle for our message today is We Must Leave Complacency and Self-Sufficiency. And I know this idea of self-sufficiency is like a big idea in our culture, especially as Midwestern blue-collar farmers, independent people. We like to be, what, self-sufficient? And that the reality is, is that the only way that we can be sufficient is in the power and the blood of Christ working in us. And you might say, well, yes, for salvation, Pastor, but for my job or for my house or for my car or for my... No, brother. No, sister. We need to rely on our Savior for all of those things, for he is redeeming and saving all of that. So we have a hard message today, a hard message to me, because I want to be independent, and I want to be lazy. Isn't that weird? I want to be independently lazy. <laughs> so let's look at Revelation 3, 14 through 22, and see what God has to say about us being independently lazy. Revelation 3.14 says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, or if you are reading the Net Bible, the originator of God's creation, or if you're reading the NIV, the ruler of God's creation. Why are there so many translations for that word in the Greek? Well, because it can mean all three of those things. And I prefer originator of God's creation creation. The city of Laodicea is known for their water supply. <laughs> now, we love water. In fact, uh, you know, in the 80s, in the, in the middle 80s, 90s, when I was a kid, I never remember drinking water out of a bottle. I don't. In fact, the water that I like the most is at 184 Mountain Springs Lane. It's my well back home. And if you ask the Hillison family, they think they have the best water. They like their well water. Or some other families are always bragging about their well water. Now, I would agree well water is typically better than our city water here in Papa, particularly, right? Sometimes, right? Depends on what spring you have. Now, some well water you have come out of the faucet and it stinks, right? Like what? Rotten eggs. Sulfur, right? And you got to do all kinds of things to get rid of that. I'm making myself thirsty. It's not lukewarm, it's just right. Their water supply was lukewarm and tasted bad. It was mineral laden from a hot spring that was uh, brought to them by an aqueduct. So by the time it got to them, it was no longer hot, it was 
what, George? Lukewarm. Nobody really likes lukewarm water, but the mineralatedness of it, they found aqueducts that are just covered in these minerals, is tastes nasty. So tuck that away in your brain. Their wealth. They had substantial baking access, a- assets. Okay? The city did. It was a wealthy city. We, as Americans, even the poorest of us, have substantial assets at our disposal. Even the poorest of us is still richer than the majority of the world. Do do you know that? I understand cost of living, circumstances are all there. But we have substantial assets in this church, and as an American church, for sure. Their independence, I can do it myself. I don't need any help. I don't need government help. I don't need family help. I don't need any help, right? Oh, I need help, but only in this kind of way, right? Their independence. The city of Laodicea refused Rome's aid in the rebuilding of their city. After the earthquake of A.D. 60, every other city that we've been talking about got hit by this earthquake and got pretty much knocked to rubble. And every single one of them, except Laodicea, received aid from Rome to rebuild their city. But Laodicea said, I don't need Rome. I don't need Roman aid. We'll rebuild it ourselves because we're independent. We're wealthy. We can do it on our own. Doesn't stop. It's their clothing line. They made these cool hooded sleeved robes with black hoods. That sounds cool. That's like like one of my fantasy games that I dress my character up on, right? They made, but it was black wool, it was good, it was warm. They raised these sheep and they had their own clothing line that they sold everywhere. And they made rugs and carpets out of these as well. They, were, they made money. They had their own clothing line. They had medical success with eyes, ophthalmology, if you, you're a doctor guy, how do you say that? Ophthalmology, yeah, okay, eye, eye stuff. It took care of your eyes. They had a salve, special salve that they had harvested and developed that put on your eyes, and, and it would take care of all kinds of eye problems. They were famous for it. People came from all over. Also, that city was a throne city. They ruled that region. That's where you came to get judgments and things taken care of was that city. It was a throne city. Why is all these things appropriate? Because Jesus takes all these characteristics of the city of Laodicea and he sees them in the church of Laodicea. Who is Jesus? He's the Amen. It's an interesting title, the Amen. Well, the Amen is a loan word from the Hebrew, it is used as a title for Yahweh once. And it means reliably true or affirming truth reliably. You're like, 
When we say amen, you're like encouraging me, right? So be it. Preach or preach it, right? Amen. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, there we go. Jesus is the amen. He's the one that conforms truth. And he does it reliably. Isn't that cool? It's pulling it from Isaiah 65, 16, where it says that so he so that he who blesses himself in the land shall be blessed himself by the God of the Amen or truth. That Hebrew word is Amen. And he who takes an oath in the land shall be swelled by the God of the Amen. Because he, because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. He is the God of the Amen. He is the truth. He's reliable. And he affirms reliably the truth. Right? Now we, <laughs> we can amen the wrong things, can't we? And oftentimes we do. But does Jesus amen and inform the wrong things? No. Never. Right? He's the faithful and true witness. See how these two are linked together? Right? He's reliable, faithful. Right? He's true. He's a witness to the truth. He's a witness to God saving us. He's, he is the one true Messiah. Right, The faithful and true witness. Jeremiah 42.5 says, Then they said to Jeremiah, the Israelites, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word with which the Lord, excuse me, which the Lord your God sends you, send, sends you to us. So we don't listen. May God be the true and faithful witness. We don't act. May God be the true and faithful witness. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I see ears on every person here today. That you hear what God has to say to you. Jesus has and is the fulfillment of God's promises. He is the Amen and the one true Messiah. He is faithful, He is reliable, and we must live complacency, self sufficiency, and hear. Hear the message that he has for us today. And hearing is not just hearing and doing nothing. Hearing is hearing and acting on what we have heard. Acting in faith in which he has given each one of us. He is the beginning, the originator, or the ruler of God's creation. He is all those things. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Woohoo! Wow! 
that's the God who loves me? That's the God who wants to do life with me, who wants to sit down and share a meal with me. That's the God who's prepared a meal for me in the presence of my enemies. And he's saying, look at me, see me, focus on me, I'm here for you. Eat what I've given you. Don't get distracted by everything else. I'm sitting here at the table with you. Don't invite that to the table. I'm with you. Feast with me. This is the God that we serve. This is the God who loves us. And he is before all things. In him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's our head. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that everything he might be preeminent. Firstborn is not talking about creation. It's talking about preeminence. It's talking about the place of honor. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We have peace with God, not by something we have done, but by the cross, his blood shed on the cross for our sin. And we find that peace, and we find that relationship by confessing, Jesus as Lord and believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. And the result is salvation. Not for that moment only, but for every single day after that. That's John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is the God. Who saves us. This is the God who wants to spend time with us. The creator, the first mover, if you're philosophical, is talking. He's talking to us. He wants us to hear him. And he's calling us to leave complacency, self-sufficiency, and hear him and act in pursuing him. For him to be first in our hearts as we sang earlier. For him to be our passion and our desire. Revelation 3, 15 through 16. It's not a fun passage, and oftentimes that's actually misinterpreted, and hopefully I, I can help set the record straight on this passage today. I know your works. Jesus knows you. Know that. You can't hide it from him. He knows you, and he loves you, okay? But he says here, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would, you, would that you are either cold or hot. Many times this is mistranslated as being indifferent and on file for God. That's not what this means at all, okay? That's a bad translation. 
So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jeez, that's brutal. Because you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So this is Jesus' judgment on the church of Laodicea. And what does this analogy of water mean? What does he mean by this? And pages and pages of commentaries have been written on this. And I read several so that I was informed. But I really think that the meaning of this is found in the cities. The city of Laodicea, the city of Colossae, and Herach. Heroth, man, Herophilus. Let's look. Laodicea's water supply, remember, holds the answer. Their water is what, church? Look warm. Taste nasty. Making me feel sweet again, but. Because it's traveling from a mineral-laden hot spring. Okay? It's coming from a hot spring. Ever been to hot springs before? Ever smell what they smell like? smell like rotten eggs a lot of the time, right? And it's coming to the city in an aqueduct. When it shows up at the city, it's not hot anymore. It's lukewarm. And it's mineral-laden, so it doesn't taste good. It has the wrong minerals. Now, we all know that good-tasting water has to have some minerals, Right? But this is in contrast to Colossae, which is just south. It's just south of Laodicea, which has a fresh, it's actually a rare thing in that area because it's very volcanic. It has a fresh, cool spring for a water source. And they're able to drink and drink their fill. And then there's Herlopolis, which had multiple hot springs, <laughs> tons of them, in fact, where Herophilus is, the hot springs are so multiplied that the, that the hill that it's on looks, it's white from all the mineral deposits of the hot springs. And from a distance, uh, it looks like it's a snow-capped mountain because it's so white. And you know what? We all have gone to hot, sat in that hot tub, loosened up them old muscles, right? Right? Well, they went to the hot springs to loosen up the old muscles, to cure skin ailments, because the minerals in the hot springs, I guess, was supposed to be good for you, right? So both of these things, the cold water, oh, quenching the thirst, right? The hot water, oh, soothing the aching body, they are what? Useful, aren't they? They are useful. The lukewarm Nasty tasting water that you don't even really want to take a shower in, right? Who wants to take a lukewarm shower, right? Okay, so some people like lukewarm showers, but I like the shower as hot as I can get it, right? Right? My power bill probably doesn't like the shower as hot as I can get it, but. So it's usefulness. He's talking about usefulness, not being complacent. Jesus is calling us, the church, out of complacency, you see, out of lukewarmness and into usefulness in relationship with him. 
both hot and cold, are useful, said Jesus. You see. But lukewarm, not so much. It's not useful. Independence, not useful. Self-sufficiency, not useful. You see? And he's calling us into a relationship with him which causes us to be useful. That's what's going on here. And when we say, no, I'm good. I said the prayer once. I don't need you. Yeah, I go to church on Christmas and Easter. Yeah, my mom and dad, they were Christians. I'm good. Because, man, that just is, that tastes wrong. Blech. Doesn't mean that you, you're no longer accessing, able to access his grace. No, it means that you need to do what he suggests you do. Right? First, you need to see your condition. Now, you think you're good. But he says something else. He says, for you say, I am rich, and I have prospered, and I have need, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God that Jesus on the cross has saved me from my sin. He's paid it all. Amen? Oh, but they are pitiable. They are poor. They are blind. And they they are naked. They think they got it together. But God says, no, your spiritual assessment is totally different than what you think. His analysis, Jesus' analysis is that they are placing their, com their confidence in their wealth, their prosperity, and independence. I'm good. I don't need God or anything. They are spiritually deceived. Spiritually, they are destitute in every aspect of their relationship with Jesus. Destitute. Bankrupt. The church of Laodicea, they thought they had it together like their city. And Jesus is saying, no, church, you don't got it together. No, you need to listen up. You need to change your priorities, you need to leave complacency. You see, they were wealthy, for they had substantial banking assets and many things to bring income in, but they are spiritually poor. They were independent, for they refused Rome's aid in rebuilding their city after the earthquake of AD 60. But they are pitiable. They're not independent. They, they need pity. They were medically successful with eyes, but they are blind. 
They had a clothing line of black walls, so cool. What you'd want to wear was styling. But they are naked. They place their confidence in themselves, in their resources, in what they thought they could do on God's pleasure and on God's grace. Can we own it? No. God's pleasure, God's grace is a free gift. What is it? I couldn't hear you, church. What is it? It's a free gift. That's good news. <laughs> wow. Whoa, every day I have this free gift to live in. And I don't have to try to earn my Savior's approval because he knows who I am and he died for who I am and now he's changing me into who he wants me to be. Woo! But I can't be indifferent to that. I can't be complacent to that. I can't, I definitely don't want to say, ah, no thank you. You saved me then and that day and now I'm good, I'm going to do it my own way. Right? So who are we to place our confidence in? It's a Sunday school answer, right? Jesus. Jesus walked on the cross and in the resurrection, walking out in my life today. When I get up this morning and I just am kind of grumpy. Ever do that? Yeah. I'm sitting there in the shower trying to just refocus, and, and then I just remind myself, you, you knucklehead, you have a sermon preaching about being with Jesus, and here you're in the shower just totally forgetting about him. He's here with you. Enjoy his presence. Jesus' counsel to us is in Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. <laughs> I like the good day of gold, but the refined by fire part, not so much. So that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So Jesus' solution is place your confidence in Jesus. Pursue him by faith. You're like, oh, faith is, faith is elusive. Well, faith is elusive, but I want to tell you faith is a gift. It is given to you by God. It's not something you drum up. It's given to you by God. Romans 12.3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And we do this all the time, right? Or we compare ourselves to others, and maybe sometimes we think less of what we ought 
because we're comparing ourselves to our other brothers or sisters. Well, I'm not like them. Well, if I had the faith of that person, man, I'd just be fine. Or, oh, man, that problem person seems to have their life in order, and they don't have any problems. Not what God wants us to do, right? But think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of, what's it say there, church? Faith that God has, what's that last word? A sign. Where'd the faith come from? God. I just want to make that clear. Faith comes from God. And God increases faith as we read and hear his word. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Okay? I just made a circle. So by faith, by gold, refined by fire. Refined as fire. My heart's one desire is to be comfortable. Is that the lyric? To be holy. Set apart for you, my master. Ready to do your By faith, we buy white garments, not the black hooded ones, (laughs) white garments. And we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, not in our own righteousness. We are covered by him. We are transformed by him. It is by his work and his merit that we gain access to the kingdom, that we gain access to the relationship with Jesus and the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by faith we buy salve to bring sight to our eyes to see Jesus. Let us run the race that is set before us, right? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, right? I forgot a word. Let us run with endurance the race. It's not a sprint. It is a long distance run. I hate running. And some of us don't like that. But we got to keep our eyes fixed on who? Jesus. And by faith, it's by faith, the faith that he has assigned to each of us that we live and act and engage him in relationship. Paul says this so beautifully in Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But whatever I gain, I had. And this is after he's talking about being the Pharisees of Pharisees and having everything. If anybody had their life in order, it was Paul. And he says, everything I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of what church Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as a swear word in order that I may gain Christ. I'm not going to swear in church, but Paul did in Greek. 
and be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, that faith that's been assigned, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that God has assigned. That I may know him, oh, I may know him, Jesus, know him, not just have this head knowledge, but to know him, to love him, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his uh, suffering, becoming like him in his death. We all suffer. We do. Americans suffer less than most Christians, but we do suffer. And I want you to know that that suffering is a tool in which God is using to refine you and make you holy, to, to form you and to build your character, to make you like Jesus, like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is not the life that we all the life that we have. We have a new heaven, a new earth, and an eternity with God and with each other. And lots of space. So if I need some quiet time, I can go somewhere and be quiet. So will we leave our complacency of comfort, our self-sufficiency, and pursue Jesus? Will you do that? Will you make that decision today? Yes, only Jesus. First in my heart. All to you I owe it. All to you I want my life to revolve around you. And my moments to be filled with you. Revelation 3.19 Those whom I Love, I reprove and discipline. Let's just let that sit there for a second. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Be eager to repent. Keep that, that list of sins short, you know. Uh, oh, yes, I screwed up again. I am so wrong, and I need your love, and I need your grace, and I need your forgiveness. And I know that this trial that I'm sinning in is to shape me. It's not punitive. This discipline, this reproof is not destructive. It's formative. It's shaping. It's molding. It's training. Deuteronomy 8.5 says, Know then in, in your heart that as a man disciplines his sons, the Lord your God disciplines you. Now, if you had a really bad father figure, then this is probably not a good verse for you. But if you've had a loving father who wanted the best for you and invested in you and when he disciplined you it was to shape you and to make sure that you knew what was right and to build that character up and to raise you up and to be a manly a man of God or a woman of God right then you, you see this 
this ideal. And God does not abuse us, but he loves us and he disciplines us for all good, for all holiness, and for his glory. Let's think of Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. It says, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. No, be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Right? And if we see sons that aren't disciplined by parents, they're usually kind of like wild hares, right? If you are left without discipline in which you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness, his relationships, community with him. That's what the discipline is for. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Jesus loves us and is reproving us and disciplining us for our good and his glory. Will we pursue him through zealous repentance? Will we say, yeah, that, I'm wrong. <laughs> I confess. I'm going to change my way. I'm going to change my way of independence. I'm going to change my way of self-sufficiency. I'm going to change my way of complacency. And I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to put you first in my heart. And let you be the filter in which I live and walk and, and have my being. I'm not going to just think about you once a day, but I'm going to think about you as often as I can remember to think about you and bring you into my day as a conversation. Well, look at that. Uh, last night, no, was it? No, it was Friday night. I was out throwing my axes at my block of wood and I turned and threw my axe at the maple tree and it stuck in there and I was like, oh, cool. So then I walk over to the maple tree. I look down and, you know, those noisy bugs. But there's one in its pupa stage or it's like larva, whatever it is, and it's crawling up the tree. I was like, wow, God, that is so cool. Look at your creation. I've never seen this. I didn't have the patience like my wife did, but that thing crawled up the tree. My wife got out there and she's out there for like two hours just watching this thing. She's got videos, but it, it's like watching, you ever watch a butterfly come out of its chrysalis? Well, it's like that, but gory. <laughs> the cicada comes out of its, its uh, pupa stage. It's got these little shriveled up rings, right? The wonder of God's creation, right? An hour later, the wings are just like perfect, right? And it flies off. Doesn't know where to go. Right? 
Jesus loves us. He's reproving us and disciplining us for our good and his glory. Will we pursue him? Will we let him permeate every part of our life? You're tempted to sin? Uh, we all are, right? You know what the biggest thing for me to stop that temptation? Oh, wait, hi. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here with me. Wow, I'm so glad that you've prepared a table before me in the presence of this temptation. And I may be tempted to eat that that's not on this table, but you are calling me to eat what you've prepared. And part of that's just a mental discipline, right? Of remembering him in the presence of our day. And this is what 20 is all about. Jesus says, behold, listen up, he says. I stand at the door and knock. And when he hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. I've gone way over and just realized that. But he's standing at your door, the door of your life. And he's knocking. And many times this verse is talking out of context and, and tried to apply and is applied to unbelievers. But in this context, who's he talking to? The Laodiceans. He's talking to the church of Laodicea. And so he's talking to each one of us who know him, who have a relationship with him. And he's saying, I have a door. Well, I don't have a door. I'm knocking at your door. Would you let me in? Will you do life with him? He wants to do life with you. He's knocking at the door of your life. Will you let him in? Will you abide with him in the daily grind, sharing meals with the creator of all things? Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, thou art with me. Right? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's a table filled with a feast for just you and Jesus. He wants to come in. He wants to dine with you. He doesn't want anybody else sitting at the table. He doesn't want the spirit of doubt invited to the table. He doesn't want the spirit of lust invited to the table. He doesn't want the spirit of complacency invited to the table. He doesn't want the spirit of self-sufficiency invited to the table. It's only for you and Jesus. He's prepared a table. He wants to come in and share a meal with you. The creator of all things, the originator, the first mover, the amen, the faithful and true witness wants to share a table with you. That is so much of intimacy. You know, when people knock on our door today, what do we do? Oh, no, who's here? <laughs> Check the ring. <laughs> What's the ring say? <laughs> Got my phone out. I'm going to see who's out there. Scope them out, right? Oh, it's JWs. Turn out the lights. <laughs> Don't do that to Jesus. Open the door wide. Come in. Dine with me. Do life with me. 
Verse 21, the one who conquers, and we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, I will grant him to sit on my throne as I also conquer and sat down with my father on his throne. Laodicea is a throne city. Yet those who overcome will share in Jesus' throne in the divine council of God's family. Whoa! Sharing God's throne? I mean, as Jesus shares with God the Father, he's sharing that same throne, that same ruling with those who conquer. He who has an ear, let him hear to the churches. Will we hear the words, Jesus' words, leave complacency and self-sufficiency and pursue Jesus? Well, we can only find true riches, prosperity, and fulfillment. Only Jesus. Only him. First and last. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you have assigned each of us faith, and we pray that you would empower us and enable us to exercise that faith to buy from you what we need for our day-to-day lives. And we pray that we would abide with you, that we would take you and be with you and be uh, aware of your presence in everything that we do, giving you glory and submitting ourselves to your discipline and your reproof. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.